So we've got uh, we've got just uh, a few more today and next week, and, and there's a new series called "Just Do It." And a reminder to you, in case you don't know what that sign stands for, that is the Nike sign. And I'm not promoting Nike. Reminder of that to you. You can go ahead and buy uh, Adidas or Puma or whatever you want. But I love what this stands for. I love the metaphor. It's a wonderful metaphor for the Christian life and for Christians. And, of course, that check mark is a what? It's a stylized V, which stands for victory. Yes. And... Uh, in case you don't know what uh, Nike means, it comes from the Greek word, which means victory. In Greek, it's pronounced Nike. Um, so if you want to really show off to all your friends, you can say, I've got Nike shoes on. <laughs> Whatever. Their slogan, just do it. You know what that means? No procrastination, no putting it off, no making excuses, no, I'm going to wait for the right time. It's going to be, no, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get on with it and do what I got to do. Folks, this is the Christian life. God wants you and I to walk in victory. God does not want you and I to be down in the dumps all the time. He doesn't want us to be defeated in temptation. He doesn't want us to go around irritable or anxious. He doesn't want us to be always in a state of, of confusion. God wants us to walk in victory. And this morning... I have to tell you, the only way that you and I are going to walk in the victory that God wants for us is by delighting Jesus. Scotty, can you just click that? Pleasing Jesus. Could you say that? Pleasing Jesus. Do you know that that's what it means to be a Christian? A lot of people don't even realize that. They give their heart to Jesus and they don't realize that God has called them to please Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. And this is the way to please Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. Now, Paul looked at the, uh, some 2,000 years ago, looked at the Christians in Galatia and he says, what on earth has happened to you guys? I'm paraphrasing a little bit. What on earth has happened to you people? What's with the sour expression? What's with the heaviness? Galatians 4.15, Paul says, What has happened to all your joy? Folks, I want to tell you something. Show me somebody, show me a believer, a so-called believer, a so-called Christian who has no joy, and I'll show you somebody who is not obeying Christ, who's not living the Christ life. I want to show you a video clip right now, which demonstrates very cleverly how important it is for you to allow Christ to be the Lord of your life, to lead you. And your job, by the way, as a Christian, is not to take hold of the reins or take hold of the steering wheel, but to allow Jesus to have control of your life. Would you agree with that? Does that make sense? So if on your car you've got the, a license plate or a bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot, right after the service, I want you to go out and rip it off, okay? And I want you to put the right words on there, God is my pilot. God has got his hands on my steering wheel. And I'm going to tell you today, if God doesn't have his hands on the steering wheel of your life, then you're in trouble. If God is not sitting on the throne of your life, then you are in trouble. So, Scotty, let's uh, show that video clip. Jesus, I have decided to give you 
Let me ask you the question. Who's, uh, who's in charge in your life? If it's not Jesus, then you don't get the Christian life. God is calling you to allow Jesus to make the decisions in your life. What does that mean? Well, it just simply means that you do what he says. It means that all of your decisions, everything you do, is based on the instruction, the teaching, the guidance that comes through the Word of God. And you know, my friends... When you are living according to Christ's word or not. Because you feel, remember we talked about the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the the Spirit leading you in the right way. And you know when you're not doing what Jesus wants because you know very clearly in your heart, I'm, I'm, I'm not pleasing God. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Last week we talked about the tough commands of Christ. Christ made some really difficult commands, didn't he? Love those who who hate you, love your enemies, pray for them, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. Um, he said that uh, if you hate your brother, that's like murder. If you call your brother a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. Pretty strong commands, friends. And so I... I want to remind you today that the teachings of Christ, although to your natural mind may seem absolutely ridiculous or ridiculously impossible to fulfill, I want you to know that by his grace and by his spirit, you have what it takes to live the life that Christ has called you to. And we were reminded last week that in order for us to live this life that God has called us to, that we have to get in the habit of praying and asking for grace and strength. Now, I want to I bring your attention to a story in the Old Testament, First Samuel chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, please take them and turn there. First Samuel 
chapter 15. And just before we look at the scripture, let me just remind you uh, of what we've been saying for the last few weeks. And maybe we could read this together. Victorious Christian living begins with immediate and full obedience to Christ. Let's say it together. Victorious Christian living begins with immediate and full obedience to Christ. Look at that. It's a cliffhanger. Victorious Christian living begins with full and immediate obedience to Christ. Now, some of you may be wondering about the poor quality of our screen. Last week, our projector died. And so if you'd like to make a donation to help us replace it, that would be greatly appreciated. But we'll be using this for a bit till we get the new one. Um, obedience, obe- full and immediate obedience to Christ is what will produce the victorious life for you. Now, we look, in the, look at the story of, Sam, uh, of King Saul found in 1 Samuel. King Saul, some of you may know, was the very first king in Israel, the very first king appointed. And we discover that Saul is not doing a good job. In fact, it's a, it's a really poor job and so bad that God is really saying, uh, it's too bad. It's too bad that Saul was the one appointed. God says, I'm grieved that I have made Saul king. Here's what happens. Samuel, the prophet, comes to Saul and says, Saul, here's what God wants you to do. He's got a job for you. He's got a mission for you. And your job is to go and completely destroy all the Amalekites, Amalekites, men, women, children, all the animals, livestock, destroy the king. Uh, everything must be absolutely wiped out, destroyed. Do not spare them. Verse 3 says, Put them to death, men and women, children and infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Now, by the way, some of you might say, boy, that sounds like a very vengeful, nasty, mean old God. If you do some research, you will discover that, that these Amalekites brought evil to new, to new heights and new depths. It, it would, I couldn't even, I couldn't begin today to tell you just how evil these people were, the things that they did, absolutely evil and full of disease. So this is what we read in verse 9. Saul and the army spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Now can I ask you the question, does that sound like obedience? God said, destroy everything, and Saul destroyed most of it, but not the good stuff. Then the word of the Lord, verse 10, came to Samuel, and he says, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord that night. And in verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel, that's Mount Carmel. And there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. Now, here's the thing. Saul thinks he's done such a good job doing what God wants him to do. He's done such a good job being a king that he's gone and created a monument to himself. I want to tell you something. This is stop here for a moment. Because most of us have a pretty high opinion of ourselves. Most of us think we're pretty good. And if we do anything... For God, we think 
we're, we've done it outstanding. And that's exactly what we see here with Saul. Saul thinks he's done such a good job. He's, I gotta create a monument to myself. I'm, I'm amazing. I'm fantastic. Verse 13, when Samuel reached Saul, he said, the Lord bless, or Saul said to to Samuel, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But here's what Samuel's response is. I love this. Samuel says in verse 14, uh, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Samuel is saying, Saul, you, you didn't obey the Lord's instructions because if you'd obeyed the Lord's instructions, I wouldn't hear the sheep bleeding and I wouldn't hear the lowing of cattle. You haven't obeyed God. I want to tell you something today, friends. It's very easy for us to deceive ourselves and into thinking that we are living the life that God wants us to live. It's a very easy thing for us to do. Nobody is so deceived as the one who deceives himself. And the Bible says that Samuel picks up the sword, and there is the king of the Malachites who was supposed to be slaughtered. Samuel, the servant, the prophet of God, picks up his sword and chops off the king's head himself. And then look at this. Verse, can we read it? Verse 22. And maybe you could read, can you see that all right? Let's read it together. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Divination, by the word, is a word for witchcraft. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Now, here's the thing, friends. If you want God's blessing in your life, if you want God's help in your life, then you need to please God. And the only way that you can please God The only way that you can please Jesus is through obedience to him. And so I want to very quickly talk to you and share with you some lessons in delighting Jesus. And the first lesson that you and I need to know, need to learn, is that there is no substitute for obedience. There is no substitute for obedience. Would you say that with me? This is the first lesson. There's no substitute for obedience. In verse 22a, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You know, you know where we first see this disobedience? We see it in the story of Cain and Abel. Remember Cain and Abel were making their offerings to God? And God was accepting Abel's offerings, but was rejecting Cain's offerings. And Cain got angry and said, God, what's, what's the scoop here? This is not fair. And he's, he's, he's having a little tantrum. This is not right. This is not fair. How come my brother's offerings are being accepted, but mine are not? And I'll tell you why. Because Abel was giving offerings that were according to God's instructions. Abel was, was obedient in the types of offerings that he was giving. And remember, he was offering a blood sacrifice. And the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Right off the top, right from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. Without the, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And by the way, I want you to know something today. That right there we see in Abel's obedience to God, we see 
a gospel message. Because who is it that's, that sheds his blood for you and for me? It's Jesus Christ. This is why it was, this is why God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, because it reflected what Jesus Christ would do thousands of years later. Cain doesn't understand this, and he doesn't care. He says, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna offer, I, I picked grapes, I'm gonna offer grapes, and I picked vegetables, I'm gonna offer those to God. That's not what God asked for. And so Cain was disobedient, Abel was obedient, and God accepted Abel's sacrifice. Cain gets so mad, so furious, he kills his brother. Before this murder takes place, the Lord says to Cain in Genesis 4, 6 and 7, he says to Cain, listen to this, why are you angry, Cain? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, would you not be accepted? Now let the Spirit of God speak to your hearts today. If you do what is right, Will you not be accepted? Will you not know the blessing of God in your life? If you seek to delight the Lord, to delight in Jesus, will you not please God? Of course you will. And God says to Cain, but if you do not do what is right, listen to this, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. The only way, my friends, that you and I are going to please God is by making no substitutes for obedience. Cain tried to substitute a sacrifice lamb by offering up the vegetables that he was growing. But how many know there, there is no substitute for Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross? There is no substitute. And so it is in your life and mine. There is no substitute for obedience to Christ. Cain did as he saw fit. I want you to know something. It's not good enough for you and I to do as we see fit. I'm amazed at how many Christians interpret what God wants them to do based on their own feelings, their own ideas, their own philosophy. My friends, the only thing that should be informing you and the decisions that you make is the Word of God. Not your opinions, not your experiences in life, but what the Word of God says and what the Word of God demands of you. And so, so many of us, we think, well, you know, I go to church every Sunday. When the pastor says, raise your hand to worship, I raise my hands to worship. When the pastor passes the offering plate, I throw in a loony or two. I sing all the songs. During the week, I listen to CHVN. I pray at my meals, and I pray before I go to bed. And uh, I do good things like running marathons for cancer and that sort of thing. And sometimes, man, we just amaze ourselves at just how good we are. And like, the, like King Saul, we're setting up monuments to ourselves because we just think we're so brilliant. But my friends, i got to remind you today, the thing that determines how brilliant you are is not, the, not how religious you are or all the good things that you do or all the religious things you do or how many rituals you keep, but whether or not you obey the Word of God. This, my friends, is what brings the blessing and the pleasure of God. There is no substitute for obedience to God. No substitute for immediate and full obedience to Christ. Remember, the, I said last week that the Sermon on the Mount was the, was the constitution of the kingdom of God. I love that. And I think every Christian should read that at least once a month and maybe even once a week. Because there you find what it means to obey God. It means, first of all, that you're going to forgive those 
who have hurt you. If you're holding any unforgiveness in your heart today, my friends, you are living in disobedience to God. If you're bitter or angry at anybody today, you are living in disobedience to God. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. I'm not trying to... Don't sit there and say, Pastor John, you're just passing judgment on me. No, I'm not passing judgment. The Word of God is judging you and warning you of the ways that you've got to change your life. And so today, if you're living with unforgiveness or disobedience in your life, then you've got to let it go. If you're not loving and praying for your enemies, then you're living in disobedience to God. Yes, those people who treat you badly, those people who talk about you behind your back, those people who are mean to you. The Bible says, and this is the Christian life that Jesus has called us to, you're to love them and pray for them. You're called, Jesus says, to let your light shine before all people. Are you letting your light shine? What are you like when you've left, left this building and you're out shopping or driving down the street? Is the light of Jesus shining, shining through you? Or would people look at your life and say, man, I don't see anything that resembles Jesus at all. I'm going to tell you something. If you, if you had a, if I had a nickel for all the times I heard people say to me, I'd be a Christian except for I knew one once and this is what he did or this is what he said or this is how he treated me. I would be a wealthy man. And I'm telling you today that if you don't let your light shine as Jesus commands you to, you'll give an account to God for that. This is what the Word of God says. And there's no substitute for obedience. You can't say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm listening to CHVN every day. I'm listening to, to the Christian stations on the radio. And I, uh, I sing songs. And so, therefore, I can pretty much, you know, I'm, that kind of balances out the bad things that I do. No, it doesn't. There's no substitute for obedience. So would you say that one more time? There's no substitute for obedience. Now, here's the thing, my friends. This is going to shock some of you. It says in 1 Samuel 15, 23a, that disobedience, disobeying God, is like the sin of witchcraft. That's what the Bible says. For rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft. And listen to this, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. And here's what God's calling you and me to do. He's calling us to humble ourselves before him, to confess our sins. If you've been living in a, a, a disobedient life and God's calling you to say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my disobedience and help me to live the obedient life that you're calling me to. Here's the second lesson we learn here today. Obedience delights God. First Samuel 15:22b to he says this to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams what does that word heed mean it means to give serious attention to a warning or advice and take it into account in whatever you do and Samuel was giving Saul very clear advice giving very clear instructions giving very faithful counsel concerning the heart of God. Saul, go and destroy those people and everything related to them. And Saul refused to. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Saul was rejected. Verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. I'm going to tell you something, my friends. Anybody who comes in humility before the Lord and says, God, by your grace, by your strength, help me to obey you and to do your word, you will know the obedient, you will know the, the blessing of God in your life. 
Listen to me. I know full well that you struggle just as I struggle. And we don't always get it right. And we're not always obedient. And we don't always do what we're supposed to do. And sometimes we fail miserably. Anybody like that or is it just me? Just, just Ray and me, right? <laughs> we, we struggle, Ray and I do. <laughs> sometimes we, don't, we just don't get it right. But I'm telling you, my friends, when you come before God in humility and you confess your sin and you say, God, it's my heart's desire, my heart's longing to please you by, by being obedient to you, then I'm going to tell you, my friends, you will know the blessing and the joy of Christ in your life. Victorious Christian living begins with immediate and full obedience to Christ. Victorious Christian living begins with full and immediate obedience to Christ. King David, remember, is the king that replaced King Saul. Remember, God says, I'm going to reject Saul as king and David's going to become the new king. Well, guess what, my friends? David sinned too. Now, have you ever considered this, those of you who know your Old Testament? Saul sins and David sins. In fact, it seems to me like David is a far greater sinner than Saul is. What gives here? Did you ever notice that? I'll tell you what gives. It was the attitude of David's heart. Now, let's just quickly review for a moment David. David is out on his balcony one day and Instead of being out in battle with his men, fighting the enemies of Israel, he's at home doing nothing. Have you ever heard the expression that idle hands are the devil's playground or the devil's workshop? David. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He wasn't busy doing what a king is supposed to do. He wasn't out obeying God. Rather, he was at home doing nothing. As he's out on his balcony, he sees off in the distance at a neighbor's house a woman bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. And instantly, he covets her. And because he's a rich king, he's, able, he's got lots of servants to go and do his bidding. And he sends his servants over to, to get that beautiful woman who's bathing on her rooftop. And some have asked the questions, what on earth was she doing bathing on her rooftop? Especially in view of the eyes of the king. He covets her. He gets her. He commits adultery with her. And lo and behold, he gets her pregnant. And when he finds out she's pregnant, he tries to lie about it. He sends for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, who is actually fighting for all his worth, obeying his king and trying to be a man of integrity. David tries to bring Uriah back to sleep with Bathsheba so that, so that the truth will not be known and everybody will think that that Uriah was the one that made his wife pregnant. But the thing is, the problem is, is that Uriah is a man of great honor, a man of great integrity. And he says, if, if my countrymen, my, my fellow soldiers are out fighting, there's no way that I can enjoy the luxuries that they're not enjoying. And so I refuse to go and lay with my wife. Now David's troubled because he's got this woman pregnant and he doesn't know what to do about her. So what does he do? He sends a message 
with Uriah, if you can believe it. He sends a message with Uriah, who is to give it to his general. And in that message, David says, send Uriah to the front lines. Because at the front lines, David's pretty sure that Uriah will be killed. And he is killed. No, David thinks he's cleaned up a dirty mess. How many know you can't clean up dirty messes like that? How many know that today? How many know that you can't, you cannot do that? So here is David, the man called a man after God's own heart. Here is David. He commits, and here's the way it is with disobedience, my friends. Listen to this. He commits the first sin. He covets another man's wife. That's the first commandment that he broke. Then the next thing you know, he, he steals his neighbor's wife. There's a second commandment. Then the third, he commits adultery. Then he lies. Another, another commandment broken. And then he murders. There's another commandment broken. I want you to know something, my friend. The minute you set down the path of disobedience, it takes you places you never intended to go. And this is why it is so essential that we understand how important it is to make sure that we do not break any commandments of God. Why it is so important that you immediately come before God and confess your sin. Why you immediately make it your number one pursuit to obey God. Or it takes you down a path that will change your life forever. And you know that after this episode, my friends, David suffered for the rest of his life because of his sin. I want you to know something. Obedience delights God. And disobedience kills any delight that you may have in your heart. That's the way it is. The more... Listen to this. The more you delight God, the more you bring delight to the heart of Jesus, the more you will experience delight in your heart. David, understanding just how much he's failed God, writes these words in Psalm 51, verse 16 to 17. He says, You are not pleased by sacrifices, God, or I would bring them. You don't want burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God... The sacrifice God wants is a broken spirit. God, you will not reject a heart that is broken and sorry for sin. Here's the good news. Saul never repented, but David did. And he came back to that place where he lived in obedience to God, and God blessed him for that. Now, I just want to quickly review one final lesson with you. I'm going to discuss with you the, the high stakes of disobedience. Samuel says to, to Saul, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Before I was married, I lived in Athens, Greece for one year. And one day on my way to work, I noticed the headlines, the newspapers, and it was actually, it was the, the talk of the town. The, a, a Greek, a Greek multimillionaire. He uh, was driving driving down the side of a mountain, and uh, he drove off the edge of the mountain. And police determined that it was, in fact, suicide. The mountain that he was driving down was a mountain that had a casino at the top of it. No Greeks are allowed to gamble 
It's against the law for Greeks to gamble in that casino unless they can show their what be the equivalent to our T4 slip that would demonstrate that they have considerable income. It's against the law for Greeks to gamble there. But people from other countries could come. In fact, if I wanted to, I could have gone to gamble, except that I was a missionary and that just wouldn't work. <laughs> now, here's the thing. This, this multi, multi-millionaire, wonderful family, great marriage. There was just no reason for this man to commit suicide except this. He'd put his whole business on the line and lost it all. He came out of that casino, stake, high stakes, high, high stakes. He lost it all. He came out of that casino and he thought, I have nothing left to live for. My whole life has gone like that. That's what happens when you gamble. And some of us here today, listen to me very closely. Young people, listen to what I've got to say to you today. The stakes are high. The stakes are high. And if you think that you can just dabble with sin, if you think that you can be a little bit disobedient here and break a few commandments here and there, it won't matter to you, I'm telling you, you're taking a huge gamble, a huge risk. Those are the older generation. Would you say amen to that? When gambling, the gambler places his stakes, his bet. Risking, hoping that he's going to have a good return from this bet. Now, in gambling, gambling with money, you sometimes win. But when it comes to God's commandments, you never win. You always lose. And I'm going to tell you this today. Saul lost God's favor. Saul lost the friendship of the great prophet Samuel. Saul lost peace of mind and spirit. We read later on that he was tormented by an evil spirit. He lost his reputation. He lost his family. He lost his throne. And lo and behold, he too committed suicide. All because he would not obey God. The high stakes of disobedience. So today I want to warn you. Today I'm your Samuel. I'm Samuel to you today. And I'm warning you about the disobedience in your life. Some of us here today stand to lose a lot if we don't surrender to the Word of God. Your disobedience has put you in a compromised position. And you are at risk of losing your family, losing your marriage, losing your health, losing your financial, financial stability, losing your friendship. And I'm, I, I plead with you as your pastor, as your brother in Christ, to ask God for forgiveness and to let it, and, and, and to ask for His grace to obey Him. I ask you the question today, how long are you going to hold that grudge? How long are you going to be angry and bitter? How long are, some of you are literally gambling privately and you're losing terribly and the kingdom of God is suffering because you're spending your finances in the wrong place. How long 
How long before you lose it all? Some of you are privately, secretly practicing using pornography. Others, alcohol and substance abuse. Some are engaged in gossiping and complaining, grumbling. Some have not picked up their Bible or prayed in a long time. And I'm telling you, my friends, you are gambling. And you stand to lose far more than you could ever imagine. I can tell you, when Saul set out to be disobedient, he didn't think he was going to be losing his throne or losing his family or losing his sanity, but he lost it, my friends. These are the high stakes. Sean, would you come with your guitar and ask to ask you to bow your heads right now? And I want you to know today that God loves you. This message is not meant to be judgmental. It's a warning. It's a call to obedience so that you know the blessing of God in your life, so that you know the help of God in your life. And my Bible is clear. You will never have the blessing of God. You will never have the help of God. He will never answer your prayers if you live in disobedience to him. That, my friends, is the truth. But I want you to know today that God loves you. He loves you so much. And he calls you to surrender to him those things in your life that are opposed to his word, those things in your life that are opposed to the truth, those things in your life that are opposed to God. I call you to surrender to him. We're going to sing that, that beautiful song by Keith Green, O oh Lord, you're beautiful. And I pray this morning that this is the prayer of your heart. Would you stand with me as we sing? Oh, Lord, you're beautiful.